The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. I felt like it was my job to take care of myself. And I just really didn't know if, if God's good plans for my life really equaled good plans for my life. After witnessing a horrific murder, Susie's trust in God was shattered and fear began to control every aspect of her life. I was trying to prepare and brace for the next bad thing. And instead of anticipating God's protection and His care and His joy, I was waiting for, I was just trying to be ready. to be with you, thank you, and to come into your home. I'm James Robinson, and Betty and I, my wife, we welcome you to life today. I lived 10 years in Austin, and they were tough years for me because uh, I didn't have a dad, and uh, we didn't have a home uh, that was on the street. And um, it, was, it was tough. And the memories there were, you know, challenging. But I love Austin. It'll always have a place in my heart. Our guest pastor uh, there in, in Austin, Texas, at the Austin Christian Fellowship, and they've got a book that Susie, the wife of uh, Will Davis, wrote. And they're both a, just a very inspirational couple, unafraid, trusting God in an unsafe world. And the thing you need to understand is that she was very much afraid. She was terrified. Uh, I mean, almost indescribably so. And you would say when you understand why, you would say for good reason. Don't you think, Betty? Mm -hmm. I, I want you to hear her story. I want you to get it. But I want you to meet uh, Will and uh, Susie. And I'd like you to give them a real good welcome to life today. Can you do that? Thank you. I'm glad to see you. How's, how's my old town Austin doing? Is there some good things going on? It's good. Austin is good, as it always has been. We love Austin. <laughs> How, well, I'm glad. It's a beautiful city. It's, it's a, a city of trees. City. If you don't think, you know, Texas has lots of trees, you know, you've been to Midland or Lubbock and Amarillo, and you didn't think we had any trees. Go to Austin. We've got a lot of trees. Tree-lined yeah. roads yeah, and streets. That's right. Rio Grande, one of them that's just prominently tree-lined. Uh, I had a lot of sorrow there. I guess I had a lot of fear. I don't know. I was desperate. But you had a lot of fear. I did. What happened? Well, when I was 12, I heard the story of Jesus, and I was all in with Jesus. And I read the Bible, and um, I looked at those promises like he has good plans for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, and I knew that was me. Um, so I was just deeply in love with God. I was all in with him. And then two years later, when I was 14 years old, I was in my classroom, my English class in May, and um, sitting there with, with all the classmates, and my teacher was sitting at the front of the class, and one of the students in our class, and a guy who lived just up the street from me, who'd grown up with me, walked into our classroom with a rifle and shot and killed our teacher in front of us. Goodness. Yeah, um, and that was, you know, before there had been any school violence. This was a really long time ago. Um, and By the way, did it look like he might threaten others, or it was like he'd 
No. Zeroed in on her for some reason. He walked in. It was actually a male teacher. He walked in and shot him, and then he turned around and walked out. And we were just stunned. Um, like I said, there was no school violence. There was nothing like that happening at that sure. time. And we all just scattered and ran out of the classroom. Um, and unfortunately, the teacher died. And the young man who killed the teacher, um, they said that he was, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, so for me, um, I feel like that was the beginning of my breakup with God, is what I say. I loved God. I still loved him. And um, I was wholehearted about him, but I didn't trust him because I felt like he walked out on me. I felt like he turned his back for just a minute and my world crushed to pieces. Just, um, and I think that, you know, what happened is, is, is kind of what happened with Eve in the garden. I feel like I heard a whisper and I hear, I heard fear whisper, you know, maybe God's not as good as you think he is. And I, I started agreeing with those subtle lies. And over time, I felt like fear protected me. And I know that might sound weird, but I felt like it was my job to take care of myself. And by the time I was 16 years old, I was having panic attacks, hiding under the counter, calling my parents home at dusk because I couldn't stay in my house alone. Um, and I, they weren't called panic attacks. I didn't, I just thought I was afraid. And I actually thought I had a reason to be afraid um, because I felt like God wasn't big enough to take care of me. So that just got worse and worse. And um, Will and I started dating in high school, and then we eventually got married. And Did then... you tell she had this kind of a, these issues when you were dating her or not? I know she must have been real pretty, so you might not have been. I was a distracted. Okay, she's a distracting person. Okay, right. Um, I would find her. I'd go over to pick up for a date, and she'd be hiding under the counter. Seriously. Because she was afraid, and I just thought it was normal. I didn't think about it at the time, as being 18 or 19 or 20, and I had my own stuff to deal with. But as we matured, we both realized this is not normal behavior. So you get married, and you see, then do you begin to see more of it manifestations? Or well, we what? got married and got into ministry. Like I said, good Christian girl, loved God. I was all on Team Jesus, um, but I still had all these fear issues. Did you in serve my life. in the church? Yeah, I mean, I was a minister's wife. I was. Yeah, but I mean, what did you have? Any like assignments? Of Oh, no, my assignment was to be married to him. Okay, that well, was big good. enough. That's and that was, yeah, that was like a big one. Betty, so, Betty uh, can comfort you. Yeah, there. she, we know. So, um, but by the time we had our first baby, my fears heightened to just an extreme level because suddenly I realized that it's one thing for something bad to happen to me, but it's something completely different for something to happen to my child. And I felt like it was my job to be the savior of my little world, including myself. So you became overprotective? Mm -hmm. To say you the least. Say that. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Um, I remember when, um, when, when our son Will was newborn, and I, if I was coming home to our little apartment, if I felt like, like I said, fear whispered to me, like the worst things, the worst case scenarios, and if fear said, maybe there's someone in the house, I had this. I would devise a plan to take care of things, and I remember um, when he was just an infant, pulling into our garage and um, waiting for the exhaust fumes to leave, closing the garage, cracking the windows, locking the door, and then I would go into our little house with lightning speed and check all the closets and under the bed like he was jewels in a safety deposit box. <laughs> but it's because I felt like it was my job to take care of myself. And I just really didn't know if, if God's good plans for my life 
really equaled good plans for my life. Um, so things continue to get worse as they do when you're a fearer. I talk about that a lot in the book, um, being a fearer, someone who starts you know, strategizing with fear. And, and in many ways, I felt like fear was stronger than God. I felt like if I prepared for the worst, that it could keep bad things from happening to people I loved. And if I was on top of my game, so I was super stressed out all the time. Paranoid, and I, would you oh, say? Oh, paranoid, yes. And um, Hypervigilant. I was hypervigilant. Hypervigilant. I was. Yeah. Did, it, did it register in a negative way on Eventually you to watch all did. this? Eventually, because it, it's stressful, it's exhausting to try to be protective. About how many years now are we tracking after marriage into this and it's building? Ten years? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a Eight, decade years, full yeah. of fear. Um, yeah, it's exhausting to try to stay up all the time and, and ready all the time. And I would try to make him stay ready. Like I wanted him to follow my fear rules. Did you ever start getting fed up with this at all? Um, fed up, no. Concerned, yes. And I started praying for her. I believe in prayer. Mm -hmm. And Proverbs 31, 25 says, she's clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs at the days to come. So that needed to be- And I wrote her read. initials <laughs> next to that verse and prayed that every day for Susie. When and you she would try to that. take away the fear and assure it was okay, it didn't That wasn't very effective. It didn't register. Yeah. What, would you say something to him I like, say, like disrespectful or you don't understand no, or you I would say, couldn't I, understand I would what? say, will you double check the door that you locked it? And he would be like, you're fine, it's fine. And I was like, okay, well then I'll go do it. Yeah, you, so, wrote, you wrote in the book that you'd have him look under the bed. Oh, look under oh, yeah. the bed. I was a freak. Like something was under there that would... would someone. 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 Something bad. I was waiting for the next there, bad there. thing to happen. Mm -hmm. I was bracing. I was trying to prepare and brace for the next bad thing. And th instead of anticipating God's protection and his care and his joy, I was waiting for... I was just trying to be ready. You, you know, you, all, you sound like somebody getting ready to die. <laughs> Self-inflicted misery. Yeah. Uh, suicide by your own hand over a slow process of miserable, fearful. I was uh, a broken woman. Okay. But the story is she's not that anymore. Yeah, okay. And that's the story. And, and, and you said that like you really believe I mean, that. I'm married to her. She, yeah. She's here talking to the people around the world about her. I mean, she's like so out there now. Yeah. Got, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the good news is that my story is a love story about a very big God and a very broken woman. Mm -hmm. And he was not content to watch me self-destruct. And so I talk in the book about how looking back now, I can see how God was scattering love notes all over my life. And I also talk about how most often they were in, in trees and through stories of trees. And there's one tree that my dad planted when I was five years old that he made me help him water at the very school where the where the mur murder took place. And it, it was many years later when that huge cottonwood was just towering that I looked back and I was like, God planted that tree through my dad, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, and you watered it. And, and I watered it, <laughs> like blessings pouring mm -hmm. over a little baby tree. God was mm -hmm. doing that in my Absolutely. life. Um, and then on when, when I started getting well, Will, Will was praying for me and he wasn't telling me he was praying for me. He was just praying for me. And I also talk about how I prayed a dangerous prayer. I was in a Bible study with a seminary wife in, when we lived in Fort Worth and um, we were going through a book and in the margin of the book, I said, God, if there's anything you need to heal in me, will you heal it? And it was just like a sliver of courage and trust again that maybe God knew better than I did about what I needed. And I tell you what, within two months, hmm. I went through post-traumatic stress disorder, which sounds like a bad thing. 
Um, and it was very difficult and I felt like my brain was breaking apart, but I was, I think post-traumatic stress in my situation was the biggest blessing because God was allowing me to realize that I wasn't through grieving yet. And by just not talking about it, which I had tried for so many years just to not talk about it and push it down, the bad thing, God was allowing those memories to resurface. And that was really kind of the, the catalyst that started my wellness, my journey to wellness. Um, he did that. And during that time, I have what I call a yet there are holy moment. I was laying on the floor in our little house in Fort Worth, crying my eyes out, seeing those scenes again from the murder, hitting the floor, wishing they would go away. And I remembered a sermon that he preached, that Will preached. And it's um, out of Psalm 22:3, And it's when David was saying, um, God, I cry out to you by night and by day, and yet I don't, you don't hear me. And then he says this in verse three, he says, yet you are holy. And me on the floor, post-traumatic stress was God, I don't understand why I had to see it. I don't understand why I'm a wrecked woman. I don't understand why I feel like my brain is breaking apart. Yet you are holy. And it was with that confession that I really believe that God started to heal my mind without even medication. Mm -hmm. I think he started to heal my mind because I agreed with a truth that was bigger That's than good. myself. Yes. And I said, through my tears, and through my pain, I said, yet you are holy, yet you are holy, yet you are holy. And he dropped more love notes in my life over and over again, as he does with all of us. Um, and about five years later, I guess, something really amazing happened. Because you, you kind of think, gosh, when you get healed on the, on the backside of wellness, you go, I was such a mess and God was so big. How could he have done any more? And then he keeps doing mm -hmm. it over and over, you know, the love story part. But I was hiking in Colorado, um, and um, I, had, I was following a trail master, and we were in a big group, and he was talking about the dense forest, and it was beautiful and green and lush. And then we went around the corner, and my eyes were locked on the trail, and he said, now you're going to see a burn. And I looked up, and literally, as far as I could see, there was, there was no more forest. It was just trees like standing burned as if if someone had just torched it and it was thousands of acres sure. and I just started bawling crying and I heard God say this is your soul you've had a burn mm. and it was the biggest love note of my life aside from receiving Christ for the first time it was God just saying this is how much I love you. Like, I love you enough to let this happen for you to see. And, and I could look and see on the ground, there were little flowers coming up, little trees, little baby saplings everywhere. Well, I, I hiked up, I hiked down, I cried the whole time. I'm sure people thought I was a freak, but that was nothing new, right? It was just yeah, <laughs> it was just altitude. Just um, and I was, I was so curious about the, about the fire that when I got back to our cabin, um, I called to find out about it and I called the ranger station and I said, tell me about this forest fire. And they, they told us how it, told me how it started. It was a lightning strike and they allowed it to burn and then it got out of control and it was the biggest fire on uh, record at the park. And I said, you know, well, when did it happen? Because like when I was there, I could touch it and there was still ash on my hands. And um, when the ranger told me the year that it happened, you, I, I, I just crushed the floor in tears. That burn took place 
the very same year that my teacher died. Wow. Start three months after the shooting, August of 78. So you are seeing the forest come back. You see new life. You walk through it now, you can't tell it's there. Yeah. You can't, you can't tell the fire was there now. Mm-hmm. That's but, new life. Yeah, That's new life. and only God could do and that. Have you seen like the fire burn now? It's not evidence in hers. It's a totally different it's person. It's a completely different person. <laughs> She's yeah. wild and out of control. I don't want to that. <laughs> yeah. Look at her. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Father, thank you. And for every person watching who says, I've, I've experienced something that's been, it's held me. Lord, break that, that grip, that yoke, that pain, heal that hurt. And, and really just, just ask him to. And like she said, he's holy. He's holy. That holiness is not smugness or meanness or unkindness. It's love, immeasurable, unfathomable, unimaginable, but experienceable love. You can experience it. Just ask him, say, Lord, just heal my broken heart. You are holy. You are perfect. You are love. Your compassion and forgiveness, and you are my strength. Be my strength. Just ask him. Just talk to him. Talk to him like a best friend you'll ever have. You want someone to pray with you? See the phone number there on the screen? Somebody pray with you because we love you. We care about you. I'd be happy to send you Unafraid if you'd like to have it. We're asking you to help us save the lives of precious children and their families in our last week of mission feeding. If you say, you know what, I think I'd like to read Susie's book because I want to experience some of that. We'll be really happy to send it to you. I really appreciate you sharing. I really appreciate what God's doing. We, we're going to let our viewers, and I know you'll want to see this, look at a mother and, and listen to what she says and, and, and listen to her heart cry to God. And now remember this, we are Christ's body, which means that we can hear and respond to what we hear the way Christ would respond. We do it individually, we do it collectively. We can't do everything by ourselves. Betty and I are so tremendously limited if this part of the body is not connected to this part, so this part functions when all parts are submitted to the head, to Christ. So I want you to listen to him. You're going to hear a heart cry, and you, in fact, as Christ's body, you are the answer. Watch. Listen to God. Throughout God's Word, we are challenged to reach out to the least of these to the widow, the orphan. There are few places in the world which present more opportunity to embrace that call than Africa. The one we present to you today is Monica, a broken widow whose family is losing the fight for their lives. Doing the best she could as a mother, Monica journeyed in search of new land and resources to provide for her struggling family. But her best was met with impossible circumstances, and she was left to watch her three-year-old starve to death. 
It's no accident you're watching today. God has heard the heart cry of a widow named Monica, who has lost two children and now fears starvation may claim her remaining three. And while Monica is unique, her cry echoes that of countless grieving mothers here in South Sudan. Today, you have the opportunity to answer that cry and the call God has given us all. Oh, Monica, I wish that you could, uh, I wish you could understand my language and I could understand yours. I hear your heart. I would like to help heal your broken heart. We cannot give back the children. I believe you'll see them someday. I know you're a, a woman of faith. And I know your heart's broken. And what we want to do is help you keep your children that you have now and not lose them. And I know you're concerned about everybody else's children too. And so, Monica, we can be a we can be an expression of love and healing for you. And all of you who are watching, I'm asking you to be just that because if I'd been right there with her, I would have let her weep on my shoulder. I would have held her and her children. I would have sat down there by the little kids like I've done so many times and hold little children in my lap. We've held some when they breathe their last breath. And we just love to save them. And love saves lives. And it gives life. So during this last week of mission feeding, for this particular emphasis, I need to hear from all of you to say, I'll, I'll help heal your heart, Monica, and your neighbors, and keep those kids for you. I'm going to give the missionaries the ability to do it. That's what you're saying. When you say, okay, I'm going to go to lifetoday.org or I'm going to go online and I'm going to dial that phone number, whatever you're going to do, and I'm going to take my bank card and use it like the check and I'm going to give life knowing that because some friends have such a burden for people like that, they said, we will match what you give this week up to $400,000. And we got 400000 in feeding areas now the missionaries have found and they've organized them and those groups grow because people hear there's food there and we know there are 400,000 and we know there are 25,000 there where Monica was in that area of Sudan that's just been ravaged by horrible warring factions and by famine. So please, the missionaries are there. They're so precious. They're so beautiful. Let's keep them there doing the work of God. They face persecution and danger and death. But let's, let's don't leave them empty-handed. Let's let them know we're with them. We're with the family of faith, and we're with these precious people and their children. So would you dial the number, or would you go online, take that bank card, go lifetoday.org, and say, here's my gift, knowing it'll be doubled. Could you give $100? That normally will feed 10 children for the next month. Now it'll be 20. If you could give 1,000 instead of feeding 100, it would be 200. 
Your gift of 30 or 50 will be doubled from three to six, from five to 10. And here right now, basically a few hours left, you might say, we, we need to raise all the necessary funds. Father, I pray every person watching will give what you put on their heart and they'll do it joyfully. They'll be cheerful givers. In Jesus' name, please go online. Would you, would you get up and move? Reach out and embrace these precious people with love and encourage the missionaries. We're with you. Please do it. Or dial the number. If you get a busy, be persistent and get through because you're going to be a lifeline. You're going to be an expression of God's love. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for being an answer to Monica's prayer. Disease, malnutrition, starvation, all terrible human atrocities being faced every day by people living in remote and impoverished areas of Africa. And those at greatest risk are the children. This month, 400,000 children are depending on us for survival. And now in South Sudan, the suffering has intensified and our feeding efforts are desperately needed by an additional 25,000 children. As an answer to prayer, a group of Life's friends have set a $400,000 matching gift challenge for mission feeding. This means your gift today can have a double impact. $30 to help feed three children will be doubled to impact six children. $50 to help feed five children will be doubled to help save 10 children. $100 for 10 children will be doubled to help feed 20 children. And $300 for 30 children will be doubled to help feed and minister to 60 children. With your gift, we'll send you Heirs to the Kingdom, four powerful messages on audio CD or USB flash drive. You'll also receive the award-winning book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. With your double impact gift of $100 or more to help feed 20 children, please request The Story, a running narrative Bible to help you engage with God's Word more easily. Finally, please consider a double impact gift of $1,000 and request this beautifully framed canvas print of the Forest Chapel by the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. There, there really isn't uh, an adequate way to express the thanks. I mean, we mean it. But, but for Monica, for those precious people and the missionaries, thank you. Thank you for giving life, saving life. If you'd like to have Unafraid by Susie, we'd be so glad to send it to you. Susie Davis wrote this. You and her husband, Will, are a tremendous blessing and have been. I want to remind you this is the last week now of this mission feeding emphasis. And we really, twice a year, we ask you to help us. And we've got over 400, now 425,000 that are going to depend upon us for a while. Thanks for your help. Would you say with me and Betty, thanks to Will and Susie? Thank you. Bless Austin. Bless the city of age 5 to 15 for me. Love you. I had some great crusades there. Thank y'all for watching. Thanks for sharing life. We really appreciate it.
We are getting to see in this narrative what would happen if the devil had his full way. Tomorrow, Bible teacher Beth Moore. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.